Hello, you documentary donkeys. That's a new one. Thank you so much for listening to The Documenteers, the podcast about documentaries where myself, Bob Sham, and a fellow enthusiast discuss a documentary each week and lay our wrath and judgment upon it. And Drew returns for our first 30 for 30 of 2019. Bill Katuri's tell the fast-paced system of run and gun under Loyola Marymount's college basketball coach, Paul Westhead. It's also another story of a very talented player taken from us too soon. Drew and myself discuss the 30 for 30 film, Guru of Go. We will get to that in a moment. Next week on the podcast, Stuart returns to the Shamco studio for a rather chilly documentary suitable for the middle of winter. We go way back for this one. Way, way back to the year 1922. That was the year a silent docudrama by the name of Nanook of the North was released to the public by director Robert J. Flaherty. This is one of the first films to be selected for the National Film Registry. But not unlike our episode on Orson Welles' effort fake, we might learn some lessons in falsehoods and misdirection in documentary filmmaking. This classic film is available to the public, last I checked on YouTube, as it should be. So join us next week as Stuart and I discuss that historical piece of cinematic history. For this episode, I brought back the revolutionary advertising strategy of preemptive ads. That means I put up ads for companies, ads they are not aware are dropping, and wait patiently for these corporations to pay me lots of cash. I hosed it big time when I preemptively advertised for Subway during our Beware the Slender Man episode. I didn't realize Jared Fogel was in prison for some rather serious crimes. Also, Subway and my wife were very upset. For this episode, I went with a more scattershot approach. Three preemptive ads. One for the elderly, another for the kids so that they can help this podcast get hashtag lit, and a third for a popular restaurant chain featuring a great musical celebrity. And it isn't Subway, so calm down, Subway. Listen on to this episode for the advertising revolution. You can seek, find, discover, and learn more about this show by going to our website documenteerspodcast.com. That is the one-stop shop that can lead you towards everywhere we are at. We appreciate you for doing so. Have I told you that you look pretty lately? Subscribe to the brand new podcast, Uninformed Opinion. It's the one with the word bubble design. Seth and Taylor had me on that show. It was fun, and you could very well hear more documenteers on that show in the near future, or maybe even now. Let's sprint on down the court now and get into the sweat of Bill Katuri's Guru of Go. Keep on docking. Here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. It wasn't good at all. It wasn't good for his game. It wasn't good for the program. It wasn't good for anybody. I think my brother was a mortar, so to speak. By Bill Couturier. I'm going to go with Couturier. Is he French-Canadian? I don't know. Name sounds like it. Has uh, Bill Couturier done anything else? Couturier. Let's see. Bill Couturier. I keep misspelling his name. He's known for the Academy Award winning documentary Common Thread, Stories from the Quilt. Common Thread, Songs of the Eagles? You can. Stories from the Quilt. 
Hey, if he directed a whole documentary about a quilt, just imagine what he can do with sports. He won some Emmys for a film called Dear America, Letters Home from Vietnam. I bet that one's sad. He was a collaborator with John Cordy, a filmmaker, and they worked on a 1983 animated feature, Twice Upon a Time, alongside George Lucas. I know nothing about that movie. No, but if he's done movies about quilts and letters from Vietnam, this is going to be one exciting, uplifting 30 for 30. Oh, yeah. We jump right in. To Rad Dunks right at the beginning. Boom, boom, boom. We're Great. at Loyola Marymount University. Is that how you say that? Yeah, Loyola Marymount. Is and that a man? Grainy, non-HD TV Rad Dunks. <laughs> this is what I'm here for. Oh, before we get into this, Drew, um, in Angela and I's Slender Man episode, I'm trying this thing called preemptive ads, okay? And preemptive ads are when you... Pick a company to advertise for, and you just do it. Then you stand by your mailbox and you wait for them to send you checks. It's like to get ahead of the game. Oh, last, man, you're making all the cash. Look, huh? egg fell on my face in Angela and I's last episode, Beware the Slender Man. Actually, our last episode was The Pilgrims before this one. But during Beware the Slender Man, I decided to market for Subway on behalf of Subway. And I played some old ads by a guy named Jared Fogel. I brought in a present for you. My old pants. I wasn't aware of some legal troubles that he got into. And I had committed to this <laughs> with some Jared Fogle commercials because he's an inspiration. That's what I thought. He had those really big pants and now he has smaller pants. I, he, he was just an inspiration. I was trying to reach out to people and I thought Subway would be grateful. They did not like it. Angela did not like it. I should have backed away from it when Angela told me what he, the things he was arrested for. But I doubled down. It didn't work. So my strategy now is to go in a more wholesome, family-oriented direction. I'm going to try this one more time, preemptive ads. I'm going to pick a company, do ads for them. I will stare at the documenteer's mailbox and wait for checks to roll in. I'm going to leave you to this one, man. As a representative of Nashville Radio, uh, I can't be selling myself short like that, my own branding. Well, you don't have to say anything. It'll be my voice that makes the, the big bucks. So um, here we go. Uh, we will play the first... Um, uh, this is a new, more wholesome ad. There's no Jared Fogle in this one, so everything's going to be just fine. Here we go. Do you use catheters? Are you using the catheter that's really best for you? Oh, yeah. For years, I'd been using one kind of catheter, and I never knew that there were other really great catheters available until Liberator sent me samples to try. If I had not tried the samples... From Liberator, I might never have found the perfect catheter for me. Liberator Medical sent me a catheter that was easier for me to use right out of the package. I even use them in my airplane and carry four or five and can be gone for a whole day. And now that I've found the best catheter for me, it's made my life much easier. There are so many innovative catheters to upgrade to. Call Liberator Medical for your free personalized sample pack. Get the best catheter for you. I should also point out that Liberator Catheter provide edible catheter lube in grape, orange, and passion fruit flavors. It's a, a convenience thing in case a little gets in your mouth, and it happens a lot more than you think. Liberator Catheter Lubes and Products. But yes, we go into some uh, rad dunks, some footage of rad dunks. Yeah, we were like two seconds into this documentary. We hadn't even gotten to the title credit yet. Coach Paul Westhead, yes, he did the system. Run always, shoot, shoot, shoot. 
And the system can be very hard. You had to really train for the system. And the way you trained had to be harder than the system. They and called it roller derby on shorts. <laughs> a roller derby in shorts, I suppose, would be a better way to say it. That sounds exciting. That sounds fun. You shoot within five seconds. You don't drain that shot clock at all. Fast breaks, shoot. The whole point is you get way more shots than the other team. And then, you know, QED, you're going to end up with more points than them. Yeah. You can shoot every five seconds. And at one point, they averaged 113 points a game pretty quickly after Paul Westhead's system. We see basketball player Loyola star Hank Gathers collapse. And his brother comes on and says, My brother Hank, his heart was, I can't even describe it and put it in words. It wasn't good at all. It wasn't good for his game. It wasn't good for the program. It wasn't good for anybody. I think my brother was a mortar, so to speak. And then we go into the 90s-style intro of the Guru of Go. They foreshadow the tragedy by just bringing up Hank Gathers and having a little interview with his brother. They're not showing any film yet. They're not telling you what happens. They're just, if you're a basketball fan, you, you kind of know the Hank Gathers story. It's, it's very well known, but they don't spell it all out for you here at the beginning. They just introduce him in this Loyola Marymount University roller derby in short system. Fans love it. There's hard driving. There's shots. Bo Kimball does the drives. He shoots from the outside. Hank Gathers gets his points and gets all the rebounds. We're now approaching a subgenre within the 30 for 30 sports genre. And that's the story of the college player of great potential destined for professional sport career, who was tragically lost. We got that with Lynn Bias. There's an element of it here on Guru for Go. I can think of another one we'll be watching in the future that is like that as well. Tragedy. But they introduced Paul Westhead as well. They're going to flip back and forth between Paul Westhead's story and Hank Gather's story, kind of throughout this documentary until they meet up. So the timeline is very confusing right off the bat. It gets a little awkward, yes. But Paul Westhead, before becoming a coach, he taught Shakespeare, and he loves giving Shakespeare quotes that are way over his players' heads to them all the time. It's funny because most of the quotes presented throughout this movie, I'm surprised I didn't see Out Damn Spot show up for some reason. Yeah, after they bring up the Shakespeare thing, every little segment of the movie is kind of broken up by a title card with a Shakespeare quote on it. But they are the most common short <laughs> Shakespeare quotes that don't really seem to have much to do with what you are seeing or what you just saw. But they're there, so... Hey, there's Shakespeare quotes. We've already seen the, the voiceover reading of handwritten notes. We're barely into this documentary, and we've already got two gimmicks that are going to be going on throughout the course of it. The Shakespeare quote that wasn't a stretch to apply to this story was the very first one from Macbeth. If it were done, when tis done, tor well or twere done, quickly. I get it, because the system of offense that we're talking about is done quickly. That's right. <laughs> run, 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 shoot, shoot, shoot. you knew all of this. But we're in, where are we, 1979. Coach McKinney of the Lakers, the guy who originally said you got to be crazy to run a system like this, has a bike accident in a bad part of town. Pretty much all is described. He had like a head injury or something. It, w it wasn't good. Westhead was brought up. And that year, the Lakers get 60 wins. And make it to the finals <laughs> in 1980. Westhead says that there was nobody else, so he became the temporary coach because it was either him or the janitor. I don't know if this is him being clever or telling a Shakespeare quote that's going way over my head. This is the Lakers of the NBA with Dr. Jerry Buss as their owner. 
there were no other assistant coaches? Look, if Paul Westhead <laughs> throughout this movie while he's being interviewed was dressed as the bard, it'd be a five Herzog documentary straight up. Unfortunately, he was not. But Kareem is injured in game five. This is the Kareem Lakers. We're right there. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is talking about this system. You're like, oh, well, this is serious. So they have to bring up a young player named Irvin Johnson. Maybe you heard of him. They call him Magic. But you didn't hear of him starting at center. No. In Kareem's spot in game five of the NBA Finals. But they mess up Philly, man. They can't handle the magic. Lakers win that final in 1980. And while the Lakers would have some up and down moments, this would kind of be one of the big starts of the Lakers' 80s dominance. Westhead took over as the temporary coach. They win a championship in his hometown of Philly. And then immediately cuts over that says, Meanwhile, on the other side of town, it's a fucking ghetto. <laughs> North Philly, the Raymond Rosen projects. We meet the Gathers brothers who go to Dobbins Tech High School. In 1981, Westhead is fired because he wants to push a specific system and Magic and the other players are like, uh, we appreciate you filling in for coach, but we don't like this. They say it's no secret that he's fired because Magic doesn't like him. They show a cheesy... Shot of a guillotine flopping. <laughs> I could not believe that they actually showed a slow motion guillotine coming down to talk about him getting fired. Like that was. And this is right after they already voiceover read some incredibly trite notes that maybe were written by him, but it never says that either. Is there anything more annoying than when you're watching a documentary or listening to a podcast and somebody just feels the need to insert clip? My old pants. After clip. Yum yum yum. Sing. After clip. Touch my face! After Cliff. I don't like the artsy-fartsy thing. I, I think I hated his poem. Into some show to add some cheap pizzazz. Hey, what's a guillotine sound like when it's falling? I've always wondered. But he says that the excuse that they make, Dr. Buss in his press conference, says that the team's not exciting enough. The fans are bored. Westhead's basically laughing. He's like, I run the fastest system out there. <laughs> For him to say that my coaching style is not exciting enough, be honest. Just say, hey, Magic didn't like him. Everybody knows it anyways. But he gets hired the next year by the Bulls, and we get to the, quote, to be or not to be. <laughs> that Cheesy. I think is from Shakespeare? Yeah, that's what I hear. Uh, but he's fired at the end of the season. Yeah, we don't get a single... Bulls highlight or story about what happened during his time with the Bulls. So I'm guessing that the Bulls part was not to be. No. Just uh, had to throw that one out there. Quick, we transfer between Paul Westhead's story back to Hank Gathers' story. With Bo Kimball. And it, we talk about Bo Kimball. <laughs> <laughs> they practice constantly. Hank was a workhorse, would be on the courts all the time. That's what he wanted to do, and that was Hank's plan to get his mother out of the projects. And Bo Kimball says he grew up on the playground. That was everybody's joke. Bo Kimball grew up on that playground. That's where he lived because they'd see him when they left for work in the morning and then they'd see him when they came back at night. You know, this horrific ghetto life. Yeah. But everybody's working at nine to five. That's responsible. Paul is hired at Loyola. Kimball and Hank, they go to USC, but they're not clicking very well with Coach Radley over there. Kimball and Gathers scholarship is not to get renewed at the USC. Paul Westhead encounters the boys and shows them some Philly-style game video. Run, 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 shoot, shoot, shoot. And the Philly boys opt to go to Loyola University. They said they were sold right away when he showed them this video that they thought was fake and he was trying to pull one over. And he's like, come on, coach, we're all from Philly. You don't pull a fast one on us Philly guys. This is an edited video. 
says, no, this is how fast we're going to play. Hater said, average 60 points. Hater says, it's not basketball, it's street ball. When the, when the world can't change with the sport, you hate on the way the sport is changing. But this is a good news for Paul Westhead, because after the Bulls job, he was like, I think I might go sell insurance instead. And we get maybe about four minutes of sitcoms about insurance salesmen. More clips thrown in, yeah. I'm going to play something. Yep, just clips about insurance salesmen from old sitcoms. But you know what? Somebody says, you couldn't sell insurance. You're a basketball coach. That's what you do. So he takes the job at Loyola Marymount, and all these Philly dudes are still on the West Coast. Speaking of corny, we see some basketball announcers about to talk about the Loyola Marymount game, and they say, Folks, grab on to something because we're in for a wild thing tonight. And I might suggest that you... Buckle up! Right. And they buckle their seatbelts that they're wearing to announce this game. It looks like street ball, but it, it is real structured. Practices were harder than the games. The games were actually a relief compared to how they practiced. They would run up sand dunes, which I don't know if you've ever tried to sprint in sand, especially uphill sand. It's very, very hard. Yeah, this is the second documenteers episode in a row that i get to represent long beach again this is the other long beach this is a different long beach but there were also sand dunes in my long beach (laughs) were they as mountainous they were not as high as the ones that they're running up here that he's making the loyola team run up and players are just disappearing into the sand when they can't handle it but yes running in the soft sand a common theme of working out real hard because it sucks No one trained harder or in this way. They trained to run, 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 run. And while opponents may start out well against them, they would notice at the end of the games that everyone was fucking tired and all of Loyola is still running. Conditioning was the key to running the system. And they said it didn't matter who they played because even if you're a top-ranked team in the NCAA, you're not conditioned to play this style of basketball. You're going to get tired at the end no matter how good you are. And they show a clip of Stacey Ogman who later went on to fame as the plastic man of the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah. But he's tired playing Loyola Marymount. And we get some more stats thrown at us. From 1987 to 1989, this team averaged 110 points a game. And in 1990, they averaged 122 points per game. Still the NCAA record. That's monstrous for a college team. Now, Drew, we have to take another advertising break. Now, this has almost as many gimmicks as this episode <laughs> that we're watching right now. We've already seen Shakespeare cards to introduce segments with little quotes. We've seen voiceovers of reading the handwritten notes. We've shown clips forced into the thing from old sitcoms. We've shown interviews projected onto TV screens where weird fake families are apparently watching them. And now... Another preemptive ad. And you'll you'll get it once those checks start rolling in. <laughs> That's right. I'm Mr. Bucket. I'm Mr. Bucket. Toss your balls in my top. I'm Mr. Bucket. Out of my mouth, I will pop. I'm Mr. Bucket. We're all gonna run. I'm Mr. Bucket. The game's Mr. Bucket. The first to get their balls in, and Mr. Bucket wins. But look out, because the balls will pop out of his mouth. I'm Mr. Bucket. The balls pop out of my mouth. I'm Mr. Bucket. A ball is what I'm about. I'm Mr. Bucket. We're all gonna run. I'm Mr. Bucket. Mr. Bucket from Milton Bradley. That's right, Mr. Bucket is still going strong in 2019, and balls are still popping out of his mouth. For more information, go to mrbucket.net. Back to this uh, movie, The Guru of Go. But yeah, they were crushing it in the points department. Hank Gathers led the nation in scoring, and he was a rebound machine. Always working real hard. Led both of those categories in the NCAA at one point. But there was one thing he was not good at. Free throws. Shooting free throws. 
the bane of so many awesome basketball players. But Hank was so bad that he decided he was going to switch to lefty as a senior. He was not a lefty, but he said he was going to practice all his free throws lefty, and maybe he'd be better. Now, This is a player who just won the scoring title, <laughs> and before his senior year of college, before he's going to get drafted by the NBA and make all that money and get his family out of the ghetto, he's totally switching his free throw style to shoot lefty. That's a hard-working dude. It's usually not recommended to change up your, your style like that. I think Loyola was just content to uh, understand that he just wasn't a great free throw shooter. Nobody understood this, except it was what he wanted to do. They weren't telling him to do this. You're right. <laughs> Everyone thought he was crazy. But sure enough, it works. He it improved his free throw shooting game. And he was the strongest guy out there. I mean, Hank Gathers was a physical specimen. And he was, like I said, he led the nation in scoring, was a rebound machine, would do the high fly and dunks constantly. This guy's a beast. So when they're playing in a hot gym and he passes out during the game... Everyone real concerned, but they also think it's just because it was the hot gym. This is the strongest guy we have. He gets back up. He immediately flexes to the crowd. But they do take him for tests because they're not complete idiots. And he's diagnosed with an enlarged heart. An, an enlarged athletic heart, they called it, which is very common amongst basketball players who are very tall. And he is said to also have an irregular heartbeat, which led them to do more of those tests. But Hank is committed to beating it. This is one of the hardest working kids we've probably seen in 30 for 30 so far. But Hank's meds, they made him sluggish. When Hank goes home to play St. Joseph in Philly, the projects turn out. But Hank isn't doing that great. Those drugs have slowed him down. But who steps up? Another Philly boy, Bo Kimball, and runs this game. He says he has a terrible game. Hank just has an awful game. Everybody could see there was something a little off with him. The medicine made him sluggish, but he wanted this so bad because they were playing St. Joe's. The entire projects that they grew up in turned out to come see these these Philly boys done good. And Bo Kimball has an amazing game. And he, he sinks an incredibly sick half-court shot yes. to win the game. So this dope. is a great game. They win. But after the game, Hank's throwing a garbage can. He was not happy with his performance. Just the way he, he felt. He didn't feel right. And he tells the docs, we've got to fix this. I've got to take care of my family. I've got to take care of my community. I can't be like this. And he ends up cutting his meds way down. At Loyola versus, what, they play Portland, March of 1990. Uh, Loyola's Hank and family are both there. Yeah. They're close with each other. So the whole family is are at this game. But Hank's brother, Derek, who is quoted a lot, yeah. we hear from him a lot in this documentary, said that he didn't want to go to the game. Apparently he was there, but he had this, this feeling he didn't want to go to that game. Hank starts off really good, and he makes a killer alley-oop dunk. Everyone's liking what they're seeing out of Hank in this game. And then... Suddenly, just like we saw at the beginning, Hank collapses and he's struggling to get up. He wants to get up, but it's a struggle. And coaches and the medics are saying, you need to lay down. He says, I don't want to lay down. And that would end up being his last words. His family would come down. They would realize that there's something very wrong. He got took to the hospital, but it wasn't good. And he, Hank Gathers, would pass away. That's amazing. He's playing the game in this arena in front of his f friends and family. They're playing the Loyola running offense, the system that's super fast. And it's a half-court alley-oop that Hank gathers, catches above the rim, slams home. Awesome play. Super cool. As he's running back down the court, he collapses on film, which is hard to watch again, knowing 
what happens to Hank Gathers. Just watching him collapse on his way back down from this incredible highlight moment, trying to sit back up. The film then does what I thought was the most effective mo moment in this entire film. It cuts to pretty much every talking head we've seen throughout this movie, to Paul Westhead himself, to Hank Gathers' brother Derek, to other coaches that worked with them, and it cuts back and forth between them, and every one of them is silent. They're looking down. They're so, swallowing. Some are shaking their head. Just trying to talk about that moment is obviously so difficult for all of them still. It's really a very effective moment when it cuts between every one of these people trying to trying to get themselves able to talk about this moment on film for the documentary. After this, while Paul West had still stood by his system, this process helped to kind of put a lot of that run, run, run system into question. The worry for, with Hank Gathers was that he, his heart condition might mean he didn't get drafted highly, as he should be. No one thought that he might die from it. He was, he was such a practical joker that people thought he might just get up. Yeah. It was the way he did things. But Paul Westhead's giving the eulogy for Hank Gathers at his funeral afterwards. So many people are turned out for this. And Paul Westhead, in true Shakespearean fashion, says that Hank was the Falstaff that he knew. They don't really explain that, but apparently he was a... Uh, Falstaff's a pretty happy guy who represents the fun of life. Oh, oh, yeah. I, I'm like the Falstaff here. Uh, you notice that uh, when they would show old players being interviewed, that they would show their nicknames, too? They did, every single one of them, and most of them were just the first letter of their name. And Tom Peabody, his nickname? I guess he was a Loyola player. I'm not sure. Yes. But his nickname was The Human Bruise. <laughs> That's a good nickname. It's pretty interesting. I like it. The system ends with Hank's dunk, is what they said. That was the final moment for the system. But Westhead goes out to the team and says, I'm going to give you guys the option. Nobody feel bad no matter what your answer is. Do we want to keep playing this season? And they say it takes one-eighth of a second, as fast as the shots come in the system that they play, for Bo Kimball to stand up and say, yes, we want to play. We want to play for Hank. Playing's honestly the only time we feel normal again. And in the following game, Bo Kimball steps up for the team and runs it. He almost fouls out, but he gets to a point where he's up to shoot a free throw. And in honor of his friend Hank, he shoots it left-handed this is the first round of the ncaa tournament against new mexico bo had four fouls in the first half and they left him in man they said when he hit that lefty free throw in the double ncaa tournament the crowd just went absolutely insane the response to that was what i didn't expect fans went crazy. The place became deafeningly loud. People were crying. Of all stripes, people were bawling their eyes out. Grown people just crying throughout the crowd. Paul Westhead said it was one of the greatest moments in sports history. And man, it's it's an effective moment. It really, it really hits you. So then we get a, a card from Shakespeare that says the readiness is all. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Loyola goes up against the defending champions, Michigan. In the second round. That's a tough draw. Right. And their long shots are going in like crazy. Michigan is doing very well, but they hit something that a lot of other teams who face Loyola hit. They hit the fatigue wall because Loyola is used to running, running, and running. And in this game, it's, it's Jeff Fryer. 
just knocking down a three-pointer after three-pointer. Absolutely caught fire. Looking great. The game ends up being a 149-115 to 115 win for Loyola. Is that still the record? The highest scoring NCAA game ever. In a tournament. In a tourney. So in the third round, they knocked off the defending champs Michigan. This has turned into a storybook run for Loyola Marymount without their star player. Sweet 16. They play Alabama, who says... We're doing one thing in this game. We're slowing it down. We're going to completely slow this game down, ruin the system, do it to ridiculous lengths. Just take every second we possibly can out of this game to bust up their system. 60 to 62. Loyola wins. Yeah. That's, they just won 149 to 15, and they win 62 to 60 <laughs> in the Sweet 16. So Alabama slowed them down too, but Loyola Marymount's... They've got it working, man. Expectations are so high right now. They go on to play the University of Las Vegas. And Vegas... UNLV, as they're known to college sports fans. And Vegas is fucking good. And while the Cinderella story is going strong with Loyola, much like my bracket every March Madness, the realities of things hit hard. Las Vegas wins 131 to 101. UNLV ends up winning the national championship this year. It's not like they just blew it. Yeah. They just lost to a team that was even good. hotter and really good than them. Would they have beaten UNLV if they still had Hank Gathers playing for them? Everyone says. Would they have even gotten to this point if they didn't have that inspiration? It's it's impossible to tell. Yeah. But Hank Gathers was a transcendent talent, and he really would have helped out a team that ended up making the Elite Eight without him in a really moving run of basketball. But now they have to cope with... What do they do now that there's no more basketball to be played? Now that the fog of March Madness has lifted. That was the only thing keeping them together, keeping them from thinking about it that was normal in their lives. It, it seems like the fall, the true fallout of the loss of Hank Gathers truly begins once Loyola's losing game is completed. Now the blame game comes forward. We saw this in our 30 for 30 about Len Bias. Right after it happened, everybody came together and was strong and compassionate and forgiving didn't take too long for the blame game to set in for everybody to try to blame something for what happened for such a horrible loss and paul westhead's getting blamed he's being accused of having a lot of knowledge of hank's condition doctors are also being blamed and some of the doctors are not very happy about that accusation and lawyers jump in and they're all with the gathers family saying you've got to sue everybody you can sue everybody for this loss and hank's, you can sue for hank's future nba earnings and hank's brother was said you know we were hurt so we agreed okay we'll sue yeah they were mad they were hurt they didn't know what to do the gathers family gets a one point two million dollar settlement in an off way that truly isn't worth it given in light of what they lost oh of course you can't even the the gathers family hank's mother kind of does get taken care of in the end they do get out of the ghetto that was his one of his major focuses for playing basketball despite his condition but after two years the family finally drops paul westhead from the suit but it took two years of this acrimony and this bitterness and paul resigns from loyola Fucking lawyers. Yeah, I think it was Hank's brother that said that lawyers are probably the most to blame for this scenario. But Paul West said he gets shuffled around. Goes back to the NBA. He coaches Denver. The Nugs. They were a very high-scoring team that year that didn't win enough games. They also set a record for most points allowed <laughs> per game. <laughs> no defense going on there. Then he goes back to college for a bit. Then he moves on to international play, coaches in Japan. He's trying to teach the system to people who don't speak English. And but he the, preaches the system still. 
I've been upset about some of these gimmicks in this movie the whole time. I thought they were completely unnecessary. The Shakespearean quote placards, the voiceovers, like we've said, that really weird thing where when they show an interview, they show it on a TV screen in a fake room or something. Not sure what was going on there. They just plastered the interview onto a TV screen that you're watching in a house instead of just showing it on (laughs) full screen. Like every other film does. <laughs> this film's pretty weird. But this was the most insulting. I was angry at this point after they mentioned Westhead bouncing around for a while. A new placard with a Shakespeare quote comes up and it says, All's well that ends well. Hank Gathered just died, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're really grasping with these Shakespeare quotes. He's dead. <laughs> It's like they just asked the person who slept through his lit classes to come up with some Shakespeare quotes. Well, all's well that ends well. (laughs) Wow. But Paul does get a job with the WNBA, and Paul West said he really admires the WNBA. It's all about the fundamentals and the techniques, and women basketball players embody that better than many. In the NBA. Well, they ask him, are you going to try to run the system with a women's team? And he says, hell yeah, the system's all I know. They run it great. Diana Taurasi is on this team. She's she's one of the superstars of women's basketball. But this is the Phoenix Mercury. And in 2007, they win the championship. Yeah. They go all the way, running Paul Westhead's system. And he becomes the only coach to win NBA and WNBA titles. And man, were they far apart, too. That pretty much ends the movie, and after the credits, we see a Bo Kimball shooting a left-handed free throw. Makes it, and it says... For you, Hank. One of my favorite moments, actually. Yeah, was that current day Bo as far as this movie was? Because it looked like him throughout all the interviews. At least 2008, 2009. He's in an empty gym. He hits a lefty free throw and says, that's for you. Yeah, and that was a legitimately heartwarming part. And that was that film, The Guru of Go, directed by Bill Couturi. Now, Drew, we don't rate in a star rating scale. Stars, burning balls of gas that deserve to be extinguished. You're going to give this one through five Herzogs. I'm going to give this one through five Herzogs because we rate in a Herzog rating scale. That's the proper way to do it. And then we will combine our one through five ratings for best out of 10 Herzogs. But first, a word from our preemptive sponsors with a little help from singer Mary J. Blige. Exciting things are happening at Burger King. Welcome to Burger King. Oh, uh, what's in those new chicken snack wraps? What's in the new what's chicken snack? What's in the sna- new chicken wraps? Mary? Crispy chicken, fresh lettuce, three cheeses, fresh dressing wrapped up. The new chicken snack wraps. Come and get it at Burger King. Head down to Burger King for some soulful chicken wraps. Burger King, have it your ways. BurgerKing.net. Checks are going to be so fat. Anyway, Drew, what did you think of this film, <laughs> The Guru of Go, directed by Bill Couturi? The first thing I want to say about this movie is that I'm not against a gimmick in a film. You've got some gimmicks. They can work as framing devices. It could add some fun, some levity to a film. This one had a lot of different gimmicks that they used throughout the entire movie. They didn't drop a single one of them. These weren't one-time use things. And in this film, I hated every single one of the gimmicks. I hated the Shakespeare quote cards that didn't seem to make much sense. If there were two or three of them, maybe, and they split it up into acts and the quote was relevant to what was going on, sure, that would have been fine. I would have been down for that. That's a fine gimmick. 
but there were a whole lot of them with the most banal Shakespeare quotes that you could find. <laughs> right. That didn't seem to really do very much to it. And then that final all's well that ends well, right after the really emotional scenes with Hank Gathers. Oh, God, just terrible. Yeah. I don't know what they were thinking with that. The voiceovers of the handwritten notes. Again, it could have been a kind of a cool gimmick, but it was used over and over again on notes that were, again, pretty trite little quotes. There was nothing deep or insightful about the things that they decided to go to this gimmick of showing the handwritten notes on the page for. There's no reason for those. And sticking the interviews on TVs and cutting away to sitcom film quotes when he decided to be an insurance salesman. Those were kind of ridiculous and took you out of the film. So I was not a fan of any of the gimmicks used in this. The framing was kind of difficult, something that I, I could have liked, but I don't think it was done well, where they tried to split it up between Paul Westhead's story and Hank Gather's story, and then combine it into one story once they joined forces on the Loyola Marymount basketball team. But the way it was done was kind of clumsy. At least two or three times, they were just like, but on the other side of Philadelphia, where things are not good, very strange the way they did that. Some of them were really quickly, like you'd have just a minute or two of Paul's scenes and then a minute or two of Hank's scenes, but then you'd get 20 minutes of Paul Westhead's story before they went back into another Hank Gathers scene. Very strange the way they did that. I'm not really sure what this movie was meant to be. The title is The Guru of Go, which I'm pretty sure references Paul Westhead right. and his system that wasn't originally his, that he got from McKinney, who's mentioned exactly once or twice. But was this the Hank Gathers story, too? Or was Hank Gathers just kind of a side story in Paul Westhead's story? Not sure where they wanted to go with that. The Hank Gathers story is the more well-known part of this. And it's a huge sports story in and among itself that obviously could have supported an entire 30 for 30 on it without the Guru of Go framework. But I did like the Guru of Go story. One of the things I like the best about 30 for 30s as a whole is that they'll use framework of a better known story to give you the details of what happened, to introduce you to the characters who kind of made that happen but might not have gotten the national renown. So the Paul Westhead story and the system also could have been a very strong story. And then when they met up at Loyola Marymount, it kind of combines. Another thing where I just thought it was a missed opportunity. It seemed like it would have been very nice to have both of these stories told, but this one felt very rushed trying to get both of them in together. And it kind of forced it in there. It didn't really tell either story as fully as it could have. What I'm trying to say here is I didn't really like this documentary very much. <laughs> the story is good. They did some things I really liked, like that one scene where they, they flipped to everybody having a tough time talking about Hank Gathers, even all this, this many years later. That was a really effective scene. The scenes with Bo Kimball hitting the lefty free throws were a great story, a detail that could get missed in lesser documentaries than the 30 for 30 series. Stuff was done very well here, but it didn't need all those gimmicks could have used that time so much better to flesh out the stories and really decide what it wanted to tell. What do they think they are, the documenteers? Fartsy fartsy. <laughs> oh man, if you put a Shakespeare quote before like every five minutes of this. I might not even listen to it. Guru of Go, 30 for 30, number nine. It's gonna get 2.25. Oh, ooh, ah. This movie did have a little bit of heart to it with the Hank Gathers story. So there was some real emotion at play in this movie. I don't want to dislike this movie because I did see a bit of that emotion. But you're right, it's clumsy. 2.25. You take your 2.25, I take my 2.25. That's only a 4.5 out of 10 Herzog movie. Lower than average. Not very good. All's well that ends well, Bob. 
Even though Hank Gathers died, a promising life was lost, the support of his community, and this all's well that ends well. Out, damned spot. You can be a fucking hero by giving us five stars in a review on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. You do that, it helps people discover us. So if you've been listening to us for a while and you haven't done that, why don't you do that? We're not asking for money. Just a little bit of time. There are heroes out there that have done that already. They will go to Herzog Heaven. Did I mention this is a religion, this Herzog shit? Anyway. Nothing you haven't yet. It's an apocalyptic religion. I'll explain more in the future. Andrew, where can they find you? If you want to hear me talk about sports all the time, and maybe even some modern stuff, and maybe in our own words, with my own personal gimmicks. You can hit us up anytime at social media at Walk It Off Radio. You can listen to the radio show on WXNA right here in Nashville, 101.5 FM on your radio dial, or WXNAFM.org, streaming anywhere worldwide. And that's that. That's that film, The Guru of Go, directed by Bill Katuri. And stay heart healthy out there. Take care of yourself. And, Drew, keep on docking. I think Brian is home. Let's hope he comes in quick. Man, you can already tell we don't really like this one. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not far from done with my nose. Crispy chicken.